Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> have you ever felt maybe any of these things I'm about to say or maybe even said them out loud? But we might have done this. I feel like I'm falling apart. I feel like I'm cracking up. I feel broken. All the king's horses and all the king's men. That's right. Sometimes we feel like we are just falling apart. And when we say that, that kind of language signals that there's something going on, maybe inside or maybe circumstances in our lives that are out of our control. And it really just feels like we're coming apart at the seams and there's no way to pull it all back together. We feel shattered. The question is, how can, in the midst of that, how can we possibly find wholeness? Today we begin a new series that I'm calling Made Whole, and we're going to think about how God takes the pieces of our lives when we really do feel shattered, like we've fallen apart, how He can take that and put it back together somehow, maybe even in a new way, in an unexpected way, and make something beautiful out of what really feels like is truly broken. We're going to think about that for the next several weeks as we lead up to Easter, walking toward Easter, and then complete this as we come to Easter Sunday, thinking about being made whole in the way that God makes us whole. Now, as we think about that, one of the things that really does make us feel broken is a powerful force at work in our lives that we just call sin. I mean, it's a simple concept, but while it is so complicated the way that sin works in our lives and it has internal consequences, right? We feel our guilt. We know our sin better than anyone else does. We know the stuff that we've done or said that we truly regret and it weighs on us and it makes us feel horrible. We also know that our sin has external consequences, right? It can break relationships. It can have an impact on our job, on our money. Sin has far-reaching, powerful implications. It breaks us. Sin can make us feel divided internally, right? There's this person that everyone else knows, a reputation that we've developed, the kind of decent human being that we want people to think we are, and then at times, after we've given in to temptation, after we've sinned, the sense of, who am I? I mean, how, how did this person that everyone knows do this? It doesn't even feel like me. So we feel that brokenness inside. How does God deal with that? How has God dealt with our sin problem? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. But what is it that Jesus actually did? What is Jesus' life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection? How did that impact my sin to make me whole? I want us to think about that this morning. Throughout this series, we're going to be in the book of Romans. And when you look at Romans, it is not easygoing. Like it is dense theological truth that we find there. Paul wrote a powerful letter, but the arguments go on for verses and chapters. And sometimes it's hard to follow, but... But I want us, because, and this is really where Paul lays it out the most clearly, what Jesus did has an impact on me and you. And we need to understand what Paul says here. Now, no way for us in a matter of just five weeks to go all the way through the book of Romans. So we're going to focus in on just three chapters that I think are at the heart of the message of Romans. Romans 4, 5, and 6, because they really do speak to what Jesus has done 
in our lives. And today we're going to skip around a little bit, four and five, and read a good bit of scripture. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want us to keep moving through it. And I think at the end of it, you'll begin to see at least part of what Christ has done. We're not going to get the whole picture today, but we'll see the beginning of it. Now, just a little bit of context. Romans chapter three, before we jump in four, is all about Paul saying to his readers, these first century Christians in the capital city of Rome, hey, listen, when you come before God, you got no reason to brag. Some of you might think you could brag because you're in a special group. You're the Jews, right? The people that the law came to, God's chosen people, but Jesus has changed everything. And so nobody gets to say, hey, I'm special because I'm from this family. I'm from this nation. I'm from this race. Nobody can come before God and say, because of that, I'm better than everybody else. You got no reason to boast from that. And no one can come before God and say, Man, look at the long list of stuff that I've done that makes me special. No one can say, God, man, you are really lucky to have a follower like me because I really am exemplary and I've done so much awesome stuff. None of us can do that because Romans 3 makes it clear, regardless of who we are, where we've come from, who our family is, we are all sinners. And because of our sin... We've got no room to brag. Okay, every We come equally. We're all on the same footing. We are all sinners. None of us has room to brag when we come to God. And our sin is powerful and destructive, as we well know. So what has God done about that? Let's read this. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Well, one more thing of context before we jump into that. Uh, Paul's also saying, listen, not just us, but even the great heroes of faith like Abraham, who was held up as the paragon of faith, even he couldn't have any reason to boast. This is what he says. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, Paul was a Jew, Abraham's his forefather, what did he discover in this matter? Verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, if it's because he was such an awesome guy and did so many good things, he had something to boast about but not before God. Even Abraham, even a man who is known for his relationship with God, forefather of many nations, the, the person that we would look to as an example of a life that has lived to please God, even Abraham had no reason to boast before God. Why? Because just like us, chapter 3 says, he's a sinner. And he could never do enough good stuff to cover up the guilt of his sin. All right? And then Paul says this, and this is a key to understanding Romans and understanding all of Jesus' ministry. Paul says this, verse 3, What does Scripture say? Remember Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, what's that about? And why is it important, right? Those are two good questions. Let's deal with the what's it about first. Paul is quoting a passage from the Old Testament. He goes all the way back to the story of Abraham that we find in the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. You can read, it tells us a lot about his life story. And one of the things that we know about Abraham is God came to him and said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. In fact, more than one great nation. And Abraham said, that sounds awesome, but I got no kids. How's that going to happen? God said, don't worry about it. It'll happen. 
Years pass. God comes back to Abraham when he is old and still childless and says, Abraham, look up in the sky. And you can imagine what the night sky looked in the day when there's no light pollution, there's no street lights, there's no, no light at all. Middle of the night, you look up and you see stars. And you see way more stars than we see. And God says, start counting those stars, Abraham. And when you get done counting, there will always be more in the number of descendants that you're going to have. More than the stars in the sky. And then we read this, Genesis 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. And this is what Paul quotes. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay, what, what does that mean that God credited it to Abraham as righteousness? This word credit is a bookkeeping term from the ancient world. And it means you make an entry in the books or you total up a sum of entries in the books. And, and basically what this is getting at is it's like, well, like a spreadsheet and God finds the Abraham line and he goes over to the righteousness column. And in that entry, Abraham, righteousness, God writes faith. And when God writes faith, that whole Abraham column, I mean that whole righteousness column for Abraham, it's full. Because of this moment, Abraham is made righteous. He has right standing before God because of this moment of belief, of faith. Same word, but belief and faith come from the same Greek word. Because he believed, he is counted as righteous. Now, this was important. There's sort of some, some story behind this text because... The Jews recognize that at this point, Abraham's just, just like a pagan, really. I mean, he is not part of the chosen people because the chosen people don't exist yet. The chosen people are the descendants of his grandson Jacob, who is renamed Israel, all right? So Abraham's just like a Gentile, like everybody. He's not special because of who his daddy was, and he's not special because of something he's done. He is counted as righteous. He is brought into God's plan. Why? Faith. Because in that column, the name Abraham is written the word faith. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So if you work, you get paid. You don't expect that to be a gift, right? You don't wait at the end of the day and hope the boss decides to give you this gift of your pay. You've earned it. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. This is a gift from God. Not because Abraham did anything, but simply because he believed. Now, under what circumstances did he believe? We skip down to verse 18 and we find that out. Against all hope. Against all hope, Abraham in hope 
believed and so became the father of many nations, just as been said to him, so your offspring shall be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Well, why was it as good as dead? Since he was about a hundred years old, okay? And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through an unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham is looking death square in the eye. Why? He's a hundred years old. His wife is 90 years old. They are past having kids. And God keeps making this promise. You're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have many descendants. And it looked like that was folly. But Abraham, against hope, in hope, had faith. Why? Because he believed that God could and would keep his promises. He believed that even in the face of death, God could keep his promises. Okay, that's Abraham. What about us? Paul brings it back to us, verse 22. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Hold that thought. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see what he's doing there? He's saying Abraham looked at death and it seemed like death had ended the promises of God because he's too old to have kids. Sarah's too old to have kids. Death is around the corner, but God kept his promise and they had a son and he became the father of many nations. And Jesus... Jesus was dead. On that Friday night and Saturday after Jesus had been killed, had been executed on a cross, it looked like the promises of God were dead. But Jesus was raised. And it's up to us to decide, am I going to believe that? And am I going to believe that God is the kind of God who makes his promises? And even in the face of death, against hope, in hope, we are called to believe? Am I going to believe in that God? Am I going to put my trust in Jesus? Because if I do, then I can be just like Abraham. Even though I'm not part of some special group, and even though I'm not that great a person... God can bring me in to what he's doing. Because see, you see, Jesus on the cross took on evil. And evil, the power of evil in the world, emptied itself out on him to the point that he was dead. He took it all for us. And because he died and was buried and was raised, we can be made righteous. And when we are made righteous, we are invited to be part of what God is doing. Skip over to, verse, uh, to chapter 5. Just a few verses there. He's sort of comparing Adam and Jesus. He says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. 
because Adam sinned, we keep sinning, right? We follow in his example. It's our choice. We don't have to do it. We do it anyway. So also one righteous act, Jesus on the cross, resulted in justification, being made right, and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. We are made righteous because of Jesus. I mean, the news for us is this. You can be part of what God is doing. Step one is believing. God is inviting you to be part of what He is doing. And you don't have to be from a special family, a special group. You don't have to be some person who's done something awesome because the truth is, even if you have, you're still a sinner. And so God is offering to make you righteous through Jesus so that He invites you in to be part of what He is doing. And we are left with a choice. Will I believe. Will I put my faith in this God who makes incredible promises, has the power to keep those promises, and chooses to keep those promises, even in the face of death? You can be part of what God is doing. Step one is believing. But maybe you'd say, you know what? I don't feel very righteous. Because the truth is, I put my faith in Jesus Christ maybe weeks or months or years or decades ago and I keep messing up. I don't feel like it's made me righteous. Well, the truth is, even Abraham continued to mess up just like we do. And yet, living the Christian life, life of following God means we repent. We say, yeah, I messed this up. And I want it to be different. Against hope, in hope, I want to live in a different way. And God is continually calling us back to Him. God is continually making us righteous again. Not because we've earned it, not because we're so great, but because of His power and because of Jesus. And so we're left with this choice. In some ways, it seems too easy. Like, I just got to believe? Well, belief is really the beginning. I mean, let's face it. It's just the start when we say, I believe in this Jesus. And we do have to deal with repentance. We have to say, okay, you know, because I believe, because God has invited me into this, I want to be a different person. And that leads us to repentance. I want to live a life of hope. I want to live a life of righteousness. And because I have faith, I want to be baptized into Christ. Step one is faith. But that changes everything. And then it's up to us. Am I going to make that decision of faith or not? And then if you have, I'd love to talk with you after our service or talk with you during the week. But that's the beginning. You can be part of what God is doing. Step one believing. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for Jesus who against hope, in hope, 
offers us righteousness. Offers that we can be part of what you're doing. It's a blessing to know that it's just faith that allows us to respond to that. So God, we pray that we'll be a people who respond to that great offer of being made righteous and participating in what you're doing in this life and for eternity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship. Thank you.